Hi, this is Stephen Williams from Supernatural and a whole bunch of other stuff, and you're watching Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tune in. We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From a snow-covered hillock on a distant cold star solar system where nerf herders work in worse conditions than a galactic peacekeeper during a Cinco de Mayo protest, deep in the broadcasting facilities of Area 51, happy foe spring and stuff, welcome to TalkCast 344, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, with a chance of no tomorrow, I am the Dome. Joining the TalkCast, some of the rest of the gang... In the Peabody Time Tunnel, our technical radical, it's our own button-pushing, keyboard-clacking, sonic screwdrivering, sometimes violent virtuoso. Tonight in the Pet Depository section, Kriana. Depository or depilatory? Either one, uh, but only if the pets are naked. Up to you. <clears throat> From the stacks of her quiet place in the Dank Dungeon's Public Literary Conservancy, Friend to cyborgs, dining with the lycanthropic elite, and is rumored to have a secret quilting society, among whose members might be a former astronaut, it's Zombrarian. And that former astronaut makes the most amazing quilts. Like, seriously, you can barely see the stitches in the seams. That's beautiful. If, in fact, the rumor is correct. A guy walks into a discount muffler shop and says, I just bought a Nintendo Switch. That's right, a freaking Nintendo Switch. Don't give me any of your damn Super Pong or Odyssey 300 crap anymore. And at that point, you know it's either Ralph H. Bear or our very own futurist and gamer, the guy who likes shiny stuff, Awake by Java. Hello. I am in a shrine. What, what would that shrine be tonight? Um, this shrine is, uh, the shrine of, I have no idea. The names of these shrines in, in Breath of the Wild are ridiculous. Um, they're, they're pretty great. Um, I'm, I'm still, I'm still playing. You're still playing Legend of Zelda for the I'm Switch. I'm still playing Legend of Zelda on the Switch. It's, it's great. It's great. Well, you've been at it for a week, which is pretty much longer than you do almost anything else so good job <laughs> nintendo <true>. switch <laughs> our guest tonight is jeff dyer to talk about the new comic medicine and hopefully joining joining us uh later on will be dr mark mckeon his partner in crime jeff welcome to the show thank you very much thanks for having me on guys it's a pleasure not a problem well we're we're a big fan of action lab comics and when we got the, the uh, notification that this new series was coming out and we started to check it out, uh, I sent the information to everybody and said, what do you think? And normally when I send out one of those emails, it's like four or five days before I even get a response from anybody. And this was like within hours I had two people saying yes, which is the majority. So it was kind of, we looked at it and we went, this looks like a great story. Explain the premise of medicine. Healthcare for supervillains. That is probably the most succinct way I could sum it up. Um, it's about a group of doctors who are sort of down on their luck. They all have problems. They've all, they're all going through various uh, issues. And they've been blackmailed by the world's greatest supervillain, Malady, uh, to basically being a, a, a group of doctors that travel around and provide medical uh, assistance to supervillains uh, after their battles take place. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the premise. 
So the first question I need to ask is, well, one of the first questions in any case is, where did this come from? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Mark McKeon, he's a good pal. Uh, we're both comic book fans and we've been friends for years. Um, I started kind of dabbling as a comic book writer in 2012. I had a graphic novel published and Mark was a, was a supporter of it and was, was real excited for me. And we got talking and, and uh, I, you know, it just kind of evolved over several conversations where I said, you know, let's, let's do a story together where we utilize your medical knowledge. And, you know, I'm a school teacher during my day job. So I have no, <laughs> I have no knowledge of, of medicine beyond what I've seen on television and, and films. So I thought, you know, I'd have Mark there to sort of um, make the the dialogue, the medical dialogue sound legit. Uh, the, you know, naming the injuries, which bones are broken and what are the procedures we need to fix it. Um, I thought that was going to be his capacity in this story, but it turned out to be much more. He's actually a very great storyteller himself. And over the course of a couple of years, as we created this world, these, these characters in this story, uh, we bounced a lot of ideas back and forth. And, you know, when I was a kid, I always wondered where would supervillains go to, to, get, to get patched up? I mean, they can't just walk into a hospital. Uh, they'd get arrested, right? So they would need some alternate form of health care. And uh, that's kind of how it all started. It's an interesting premise, and it's it's something that I don't think uh, has ever been kind of detailed out before. Not certainly not ever to this extent. So you create, yeah. but we're we're used to seeing uh, the Marvel heroes or the DC heroes and the Marvel villains and the DC hero uh, DC villains. But in this case, you had to kind of invent your own reality and, and right. place the people in there as as you went along. Uh, how did that work out for you? Uh, challenging and a lot of fun. Um, there have been a number of comics, you know, that have done something similar to this, where they've invented their own, you know, backstory, their own history, uh, all the all the characters. The, the closest I can think of would be something like uh, Kurt Busiek's Astro City, where he has focused on the human characters most of the time and created all of these kind of um, archetypes that are, you know, they're not, they're not copies of Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, and so on, but you can sort of see, you know, the threads that link them together. You know, you have your, your, your alien hero, you have your vigilante, you have your teenage superhero and so on. Um, so that, that's kind of where we started. Um, we had to create a world populated by supervillains. Um, those were probably the main characters we were developing after the doctors themselves the doctor characters the, the physicians that have been blackmailed they are you know certainly our, our lead characters and so the villains and then to a lesser degree the heroes that fill in the background um, were sort of created after that but we you know we oftentimes would start with a character that's that is known in in the pantheon of marvel and dc and then try to twist it and turn it and make it original and do you know make it more our own um, for example, in one of the issues, we do have a uh, a character that is a, a teenage sidekick, and you could say that he was based on Robin or any of the other teen sidekicks that have been around since forever, but um, we found a way to work that character into our story and and really connect that character to one of the doctors that is is um, is her her lead is. Uh, psychiatric um, help with with young with young adolescents. The cool thing is is that in, in well one of the cool things there's a lot of cool things about this book. Uh, what kind of got to me was that the superhero aspect of it doesn't really exist and is kind of taken over by doctors and nurses. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to make it realistic. We wanted to basically make it the world we live in. And it's, it's kind of ironic that, that healthcare, not to get political, but healthcare has, you know, become a huge discussion in our country, um, a, a big issue. Um, and 
honestly, the the wheels were spinning on on our book long before anybody had even heard of Obamacare. You know, so I mean, and I'm not equating that to to uh, <laughs> medicine for for supervillains, but um, you, you know what I mean. I mean, healthcare has been yeah, no, absolutely so much lately, and uh, th- hopefully that will you know pique interest in in our book. But uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Another interesting thing too is, uh, and I've I've just gotten through the very first issue, which is I think all that's out at this point. Was that Actually, uh, 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 it'll be out on May third? Oh, then uh, we'll try not to give anything away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> but the way the the doctors get fleshed out. Uh, is really really interesting because they're they're human. They're not, uh, you know, you, you're not black and white in, in in your depiction and in their backstory, and that gives them some real depth and some clarity and some grittiness as well. Yeah, I mean, they're all struggling. You know, they're struggling with their their mission. They they all took an oath you know, to, to first do no harm. In fact, that's the, the title of our opening story arc. They took this oath to, to serve humanity, but, but what if their patients are literally the worst of humanity? That's their moral and ethical struggle. You know, do they, do they save somebody that's on the, on the, the surgical table when they know this character is going to turn around and, and unleash, you know, great destruction? the very next minute he's, he's uh, capable of doing so. And it, it, it may be a, a moral and ethical dilemma that doctors have had many, many, many times, but it takes it to another level when you're in the superhero universe. Right, absolutely. And all of them have reasons for doing what they do, even though they are kind of on a on a short leash by malady um they have i don't want to give too much away but there's something that malady has done to them to ensure that they will be you know good soldiers and not uh abandon ranks and whatnot and we see in the opening pages uh what happens to one of the doctors who decides you know that maybe this isn't for him now now malady is the head villain the head of the right Right, Malady is the bad guy du jour. Yeah, in in our story, Malady kind of controls all of the supervillains in kind of a criminal organization and uh, has, you know, they're very valuable to Malady. These are his foot soldiers. And so the the doctors that that are on the team, they're there to ensure, you know, financial uh, support, making sure that these powerful assets are, are not lost in battle. Now this this is an interesting juxtaposition for you uh, as a creator because uh, this is not the kind of stuff that you've been doing up to this point. Or no, did I miss no, this stuff? <laughs> uh, well, my my very first graphic novel was published about five years ago, and that was called Every Waking Moment, and it was published by Arcana. Um, that was a little bit more of an adult, um, I would say, PG thirteen on uh, on up graphic novel about what you would do if you never had to sleep again. So that was kind of the first book that I did in comics. And then after that, I went on and wrote um, the Peanuts comic for Boom Studios. How did you make that transition? You know, it, it was one <laughs> of those, yeah, it was, it was really odd. I, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would write Charlie Brown and Snoopy and those characters because I, you know, I, like many, I grew up loving those characters and, I never fathomed that that I would get a shot at that, but I uh, I sent an email to the editor of the book, and it's one of those you know kind of bold, stupid emails you send when you think ah those are the best kind. Come on, yeah, they are, they are, they are, they are. And 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 I thought you know if I had waited two more minutes and thought about it rationally, I probably would never have hit the send button. But I, I emailed the editor and I just said, hey, if I were to write a, a peanuts story, would you consider looking at it? And I, you know, obviously I expected the editor to say no or to not even respond. 
but the editor responded and said, sure, send me your script. And of course, I didn't even have one at that point, so I <laughs> kind of quickly uh, put one together, and that ended up being the, the first um, story that I wrote for Peanuts. How long, how long did you do that? Uh... Um, on and off for about two years. Um, I'm not sure the number of issues, but um, I want to say, I think I wrote 25 or 30 stories featuring most of the characters. That had to be almost idyllic <laughs> for you. It, it, was, it, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I mean, I got to write, you know, I got to write a Christmas story uh, featuring the characters. I got to do a story about Linus's blanket. Um, I got to do several Snoopy stories. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was an absolute honor and just a, one of those unexpected joys in my life that I never never saw coming. And you know, it's just something I'll never forget. It was it was a real privilege. And then you transitioned into taking this this idea that's been kind of mulling around in the back of your head for a long, long time, and yeah, we were decided actually, we were actually, to make yeah, a run at it. Yeah. No, no. Mark go ahead. Actually, Mark and I were actually writing medicine while I was still working on peanuts. So that was a little strange. I was <laughs> one day I was writing, you know, you know, good grief, and then the next day uh, something with a few more uh, four-letter words that uh, shall remain nameless. <laughs> a couple of expletives in there, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the first story arc for medicine is uh, six yeah, uh, six volumes long. Yeah, uh, and it will be uh, starting in May, and then uh, the plan is to collect that into a graphic novel or two, and if sales are strong enough, uh, this could potentially be an ongoing book. So that's kind of what we're hoping for, because Mark and I have you know a lot of stories that we could tell in this world, and we're actually in the early stages of, of planning the second storyline, you know, hoping that uh, Action Lab would, would be game for that. Was Action Lab involved in the Kickstarter at all, or did you guys do that all on your own? We did that on our own. Um, Action Lab has been great. They've been really supportive and, and encouraging. But uh, the way they work is basically, I mean, they'll publish. They said they would publish medicine, but we had to have it ready to go, you know, the, the six issues, you know, print ready. And so we had to do a Kickstarter to uh, basically to pay the, our crew to do the work. Um, you can't expect people to do, you know, this level of, of work for free. So we did the Kickstarter to uh, to pay those costs and to get those six issues produced so that our publisher would, would be ready to go with it. How did that, how did, how did you like the way that experience went for you? Honestly, uh, I, I hope I never have to do it again. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of stressful and, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of pimping yourself and putting it out there. And, um, that's not really me. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't like to, uh, to toot my own horn, shall we say. So even doing this interview is a little awkward for me, but you know, you have God, to, you're, among, you're among friends here. Come on. I know, I know, but you know, it, it, Kickstarter is difficult. I don't, I don't like to ask people for money. I've never liked that. And I honestly never thought I would do a Kickstarter. But then when we had this opportunity, you know, it's like, well, we'll publish your book, but we need to have the pages. You have to produce the pages. And um, that's what we had to do. So we had a really great crew of folks that, that backed our project and um, have received some, some, you know, incentives and some, some little prizes along the way, including an early look at medicine. So they're, they've already seen most of the issues and, have given us some nice positive feedback. I was going to say, is that helpful to you uh, as the creative people to get the feedback from them before it goes to Action Lab from that group who was your Kickstarter backer? Oh, absolutely. I mean, because most of them, you know, they're the target audience. They're the they're comic book fans, and they want to read a good story. We want to produce a good story. And uh, to get that direct feedback when it's in the development stage, you know, was actually uh, something that did impact the the way it was it was produced. So we have the commitment from Action Lab to do this first story art of six. 
Right. And and hopefully if things go on, medicine becomes an, an ongoing series for them. Yeah, I think that's the plan, you know, and, and like I said, we've got kind of a long-term vision for where this could go. There are some seeds that are planted in these first six issues that don't get resolved, and you're going to wonder, well, what, what did that mean, or what, what's that all about? And, and that's kind of us laying the groundwork for what we hope is a, a longer series of storylines to come. Which leads to the next question. Are there any other books coming up from you? Any other stories you want to tell? Or is this where you're going to be for the next couple of months, years, hopefully? Uh, this, this has my, my, I would say, most of my attention right now because this is a project that's a little more further along than some others. I am working on another book with uh, a very talented artist, and it's, it's more of an all-ages series. I can't really say too much about that yet because it's it's very, very early on. But that's going to be a ton of fun. And um, otherwise, you know, just got a, got a few other ideas percolating. And um, I've got one significant publisher that I've been kind of going back and forth with through email. And I'm finding that um, you have to be patient when you're in comics because some things take a really long time to come to fruition and this is hopefully one of those things well cool <laughs> I've, I've got to tell you uh i'm kind of in love with the the look and the feel of it uh the the group uh david brain yeah i need to oh, go ahead our artists here i'm sorry I've, yeah I've, I've, I, I wish you would said, he's uh, he's just outstanding david brain is our artist Joaquin Priera is the colorist and Adam Wallet is our letterer and boy I tell you they are just a great team David has designed this world from the ground up he's created you know a plethora that means a lot <laughs> of super villains he's created you know these very unique doctors that are you know first and foremost our lead characters uh, he's he's built such tremendous architecture in the background and and a mobile flying hospital called the Nightingale. Um, he's done so much to to bring this story to life. We we obviously couldn't have done it without him. So I'm guessing based on that that you're really happy with the look and the feel as well as the story in this book. Oh yeah, I mean I think the art is a great complement to to the story that we're creating. It's gritty. It's, uh, it's fun to look at. The coloring is, is, is really pops off the page. I mean, it's, it's just, it's thrilling. It's, it's very rewarding to, to see a project, you know, come together finally after literally years of, of work. And now in a, in a few weeks, it'll be hitting comic book shops on May 3rd. You can pre-order it at your local comic yes. book shop. You can also yeah, order it directly do. from Action Lab. I would I say, believe, too, can't you know, you? If, if fans don't know, the pre-ordering is so critical to a, a smaller book like this, where you've got basically unknown creators that are trying to, you know, feel like you're a voice calling out in the wilderness, you know, where <laughs> you have to try to make yourself known. And uh, the pre-orders will really go so far you know to convincing action lab that this is a book worth keeping so i hope i hope people don't just expect to see it show up on the shelf you're going to have to pre-order this or you may not get it at all so guys that's the key now at this point don't order it directly from action lab walk into your local shop <clears throat> ask for it by name ask them to order it pick it up from there and help us get this first series and many more story arcs from medicine, which would be really cool. Uh, Jeff, thanks so, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us. And as more th good things happen with you, uh, I hope you'll come back and join us again. My pleasure. Thank you so much. It was, it was great. Uh, it was talking with all of you. Excellent. Thanks a lot. Kriana, it's time for some news. And we were busy talking before the show began, and everybody had some 
very succinct opinions about the new Power Rangers situation. Oh my god, it's rated PG-13. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> what is wrong with That's people? where we're going with it. What is wrong with okay. everyone? What is wrong with the world as we know it? The Power Rangers movie is not rated PG-13. Sorry, just no. It should it is. be rated PG-13, but it is because that PG-13 pulls in more people. All the babies who watched it. All the babies sure. who watched it are way older than 13. No, it's been, it's still on. Well, yeah, but I mean. That's, I, I don't know that that's who this movie's, uh, you know, going after. And is it that big a deal that it's PG-13? Yes, it's a children's show. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, Like, Power Rangers is for <laughs> six to ten-year-olds, I would say, in general. It's not the kind okay. of thing where it has, you know, this crossover appeal for teenagers and adults. I And it's going to tank, I think, at PG-13. I don't think it's going to pull more people in. I think people are going to be like me and say, what is this baloney? I don't know. I mean, it's big, it's, it's big machines and they're fighting with people in rubber suits. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that anybody's going to really. Kind of like Transformers, but, and they did the same thing with that too. I mean, they moved that into a PG-13 audience. Yeah. But it they, had crossover it, appeal. Power Rangers is something that eventually you're like, you know what? This is stupid and I don't watch it anymore. <laughs> okay. Um, Says I you. Kind of always felt that, I kind of always felt that way about it, but that's just me. Well, because you've been an adult since it came out. Um, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I have I mean, been. You've been an adult since television existed, but still. I mean, I think it. I think the movie might tank, but I don't think it's going to tank because it's rated PG thirteen. I think it's going to tank because it's just Power Rangers. And I saw something where they were like, "Yeah, we really tried to sex up the bad guy," and I was like, "Excuse me." Well, <laughs> the bad guy does not need to be sexed up, and was already. You thought she was yeah. sexy. Well, I mean, there there wasn't that much on Saturday morning cartoons that. Well, there was, was Bugs Bunny dressing up in a dress, but that was about it. So anyway. Really, Dome, you found that sexy? I mean. No. no. If you, you want it, I mean, much. if that's your opinion, I'm not judging you. I'm just a little surprised. Oh, Wait, you no, speaking... clearly judging at this point. Okay, yeah, I am speaking judging you. Deck, I'm totally yeah, judging you. Jar. Speaking of Donald Duck and not about uh, Dome's kinks, the, um, the, the DuckTales reboot is coming out soon, and there's a couple of trailers. Um, there's a, there was a teaser trailer, and just recently there was a trailer that focuses on Donald, and man, does it look good. It does look really good. It looks so good. I cannot wait to watch DuckTales again. It's going to be fantastic. Um, so definitely check that out. And, and of course, well, it's got a star-studded cast as well. Saturday morning fair that doesn't, that you don't grow out of. Because DuckTales continues to be awesome. Unlike Power and Rangers. Cool <laughs> and would unlike you Power Rangers. Unlike you are exactly Power right on, on that. Power Rangers is definitely something that you grow out of. <laughs> I was gonna, st I was gonna keep talking, and then I was like, no, no. Unlike Power Rangers, full stop. <laughs> well, the other thing too is that you know, Ducktales has, uh, and a lot of those just have some great voice actors doing this stuff too, which helps a oh, lot. Oh man, really good stuff. Really good casting. Looks like it's going to be fantastic. I, I just want them to bring back Tailspin. 
and Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and my oh my, my Saturday mornings will be back to the way that they should be I playing Zelda. Not, not, Chippendale not Rescue until Gargoyles comes song. back. No, playing Zelda and watching uh, Disney cartoons. That's that's what, I, and all I have to do is get myself some Cheerios, and I'm going to have the Saturday morning that I've been mad about losing ever since I was six. I, I'm I'm telling you that those cinnamon frosted flakes are better than they look. <laughs> I, and then I've, on the I've other told... on the other Go side ahead. of it, though, I mean, I am so excited to 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 finally. Um, Get to see a dramatization of one of my favorite adult pieces of fiction, which is American Gods, which is coming to the small screen April 30th, which is it is so close. I can taste it. See, and I'm um, so nervous about like I keep seeing good things and good things keep happening. And Jason Momoa, but hey, nervous. Yeah. So here, here, here's my story about American Gods which I had a lot of trouble getting into. And I guess it's that way with a lot of people. By the time I was done with it, I had a healthy respect for what had gone on in that story. And I really, really appreciated it. But I was, uh, <laughs> I was watching a TV show that most people hate. And they stumbled across The House on the Rock. And I'm thinking, wait, no, this is an imaginary place out of this book, American Gods. No, and it turns no out it's not. Real. It's very, very it's real. real. And, I, and it's in, like, Wyoming or something? No, no, no. It's, no, in, it's Wisconsin. in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. What yeah. are those and W watched, states? They all look the same. Oh, my gosh. It, you guys. Do, except the House and, on the Rock. And I'm, do you want to go there? We should have, like, a, a retreat there. I do want to go there now. I really oh, do want to go Way better there. than a dude ranch. No, no, not I'll no. You, I'll tell you honestly. I grew up in 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 the middle of Wisconsin, right next to Madison, and the, the Dells were were just about an hour away. And the the House on the Rock is just like this fascinating place because you know there's there's this whole idea. It was marketed as a as a Frank Lloyd Wright house, but it's not. It was written not at about, all. It was, it was designed and built by this crazy guy within like spitting distance of Talesian, which is Frank Lloyd Wright's school and childhood home. And, um, and, uh, and it's just nuts because the guy who built it was nuts. And his favorite thing was making these displays for people to see. Cause he started, even before he died, he started making these displays to, to, as, as a tourist attractions Half of them are fake and half of them are half real. And he would like walk around and laugh as people like were like, whoa, it's the crown jewels. I can't believe that they're here in Wisconsin. Like, Didn't he have a couple of uh, Disney Imagineers work for him? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. I took my, he my kids. He spread around so many rumors about the place that now it's impossible to tell. What's true yeah. about it? Well, and there's so much money tied up in it because it's like one of those um, those tourist seven sixties seventies tourist attractions that just blew up, and now they've got a foundation and all that stuff. And book, they publish books about him and try to paint him as what he wanted to be seen as, which is a groundbreaking architect the, or whatever. The insanity anyway, of the descriptions in the book, and then seeing the pictures of like the Infinity Room. And the carousel room, and it's like, uh, I hate to say it, but Gaiman got it perfect in that. I love it. What he I was describing it. was exactly what what I was seeing in those pictures. It was insane. Dome, I need you. to pause you for a second, though. I really need to do this. Yeah, this that's... is very important to me. Okay. I need to ask you a very serious question. Seven. You know that all the places in American Gods are real, right? I did not know that when I read it. Yes. I do know that now. Yes. All of the tourist attractions in American Gods are real, including the hotel at the center of America. Right. <laughs> I realized that one as well. Like, down uh, to no, the tree in the I field, first... they're real. Yeah. Wow. And and you can visit all of them. But the the as far as the house, this is my, my favorite story about the house in the rock, because I love going there. My family goes there 
quite occasionally for for family vacations. Um, we go to the the Dells, and I always, if I can, go to the House on the Rock. I took my family there, and my daughter, who was at that point five years old, um, when we came into the carousel room, and there are two carousel rooms. There's one that's full-size carousel horses, and there's one that's a doll carousel. Oh, good. Um, she said, I feel like I'm dying. That's and interesting. It was, it was wonderful because there's just this feeling that something isn't quite the way that you expect it to be all the way through that place. Um, it is definitely otherworldly. And, and that's the, that's kind of what I connect to Neil Gaiman in general, all of this, this question about what is reality and how do we perceive it and how does our, how do, how do our perceptions alter what reality is? Uh, I, I just, I adore it. I cannot wait for it. And if you look at the, it, it, what the news that has been coming out around this show they just released a special edition of the the novel that is illustrated by David McKeon, who worked with um, Neil Gaiman on Sandman, which right. is unbelievable. The 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 pictures that are in this book, it's a hundred and twenty dollars, which is a little salty. Yeah, especially even, yeah yeah, even for even for a fan like me, so. We'll see. It was it, you know, just looking at the pictures and and then doing the research online and, and seeing all these really detailed pictures. Uh, it's kind of it just it blew me away in, in so many ways, especially since I didn't believe it was a real place for the longest time. Uh, but that's me. What can I tell you? Hey guys! Uh, yeah, uh, Dr. Mark McKeon is here. I don't know if we want to possibly sure, yeah. briefly, but he's here Absolutely. and he's to answer a few of your questions. Dr. Mark, you there? I am. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm late. Can we call you good old oh. Dr. Mark? You can, can we call do me that? Mark, actually, <laughs> yeah. Everybody calls me Mark, so that'd be fine. Yeah. Excellent. So, we, we were talking with Jeff earlier about uh, what both of you guys brought to the table in terms of the story for this. H how did you get involved in this, and what did that blossom into over time? Uh, my relationship with Jeff really extends to my mother's association with one of his teachers in school. And that's in, and uh, Jeff used to write for the newspaper, and I was a kind of a closet comic book fan for a long time, and so I would read his articles in the newspaper. And then we used to work out at the same place. Uh, this, it's the YMCA. And so I introduced myself one day to Jeff, and then that you know the rest is history. He was on the tread. I think you were on the elliptical, sweating his uh, sweating his brains out. And then the next thing I know, we're uh, writing funny books together and talking about comics. And that's kind of that was the history. That was probably back. When I came back to Dubuque, probably around 2005 or six, I think it's been that long. So that's kind of how we got together, met each other. And this whole story for for medicine, right, uh, was kind of been brewing around for a while with you guys. Absolutely, I think we finished. I think we looked back at our initial drafts, and we were 2010. I think is when we put the final touches on the sixth, the sixth issue, and so it's been kind of batted around. And and Jeff and I, Jeff has has already done quite a bit. He's, he worked for Peanuts and he did some, he's, um, he did his own book called Every Waking Moment, which everybody really enjoyed. Uh, and we had talked about one day, Jeff just kind of out of the nowhere said, what do you think about us, you know, writing something sometime? And then initially the idea was, let's call it bad medicine. It's just as sort of a kind of a whim. What if, you know, what, is, what do the bad guys need for what, what kind of healthcare needs would they have? And the next thing you know, medicine evolved from that. And then here we are today. So in the writing process, uh, did Jeff have the idea and then you would like fill in the blanks? I think, or is I that think how a, lot of the, a lot of times, yeah, Jeff, I think, um, is the, he's the mastermind. If I, if I, uh, 
could be so bold, I think. I mean, Jeff is he's definitely the wordsmith. And uh, what we did is we would get together. We came out to my house, and we plotted our ideas as to where we wanted to take this. We wanted to kind of keep it uh, supervillain-centric, but also not not just be a story about supervillains. But we wanted to make it something that was interesting and hadn't been seen before. So we talked about sort of the overarching themes, what we wanted to see happen with the story, where we wanted to take it. We wanted it to be very character-driven about some very messed up doctors, all of whom are deeply flawed individuals. And then from that, uh, Jeff came up, we came up with some names, Jeff came up with some excellent names and ideas. And then I, I really laid down all the, uh, the, um, tortured souls that I've met throughout my medical school, college, medical school and residency. And then, you know, in my professional life, and there's a lot of very messed up doctors out there. And so I didn't have to, to look very far and you meet a lot of sociopaths. In, in the in the professional you know in the trades and the professions as well and medicine's no different so there are people that have certain um, proclivities things they do well things they don't do well and so I think we kind of played off of that and we came up with kind of a an interesting group of people who are very dynamic and I, hopefully people will will be able to read about and enjoy maybe maybe not identify with most of them hopefully because I think some of them are sociopaths but our main character I think is um, is what you'd like to you'd like to think your doctor is someone who is there for the patient, someone who's there trying to do their very best job, surrounded by uh, a group of people who really have uh, made some bad choices or have some deep character flaws. But I think ultimately many many of whom find redemption by the end of the story. So it's a, I think it's a happy story with some very dark overtones in it. But and I think that's what we tried to to set out to do, and I hope we executed well. So every doctor during during the course of their uh, work has to deal with the medical ethics of the things that they do uh, and how they affect the world around them. How much of that did you inject into these stories? I, I think we try to do as much as humanly possible. I think you know, we, you know, uh, Jeff is actually the one who came up with the title, you know, first do no harm. And I think that's, that's kind of an overarching idea about medicine is, you know, first we need to have the patient's welfare uh, in mind and you know, the testing that we do, uh, certain procedures we do, are those good things or bad things? Is this going to benefit the patient in the long run? Those types of ideas. Um, I think, uh, you know, ethics, uh, as, as it pertains to medicine is, a is an entire course in medical school. And so we, we've, I, I, I was inundated with it from the time I was, uh, you know, a first year medical student all the way up until now with we still have ethics meetings about, What's appropriate care? So ethics is a huge, it's a huge deal. Um, I mean, I, I think it's it's something that's been written about extensively, and I think uh, I think we look to see where people have have made mistakes in the past and maybe haven't been ethical, and I think that we we try to find those things and exploit them as as things where people maybe acted in their own self-interest and not the interest of the patient, or to expand maybe the people around them or their own families, those types of things, and. And I think that's a very fertile ground to find uh, stories, people making bad choices, maybe not always being ethical. Um, I mean, our main character, the, the, the main, the big bad in this is extremely unethical, but I think she views herself as being almost a savior of, of humanity, you know, so. From a standpoint of doing the work itself, Jeff has been involved mm -hmm. in comics and graphic novels for a while now. And you've been involved strictly from the standpoint of a fan for a long, right. long time. How different was it for you to be involved in the process? What was the what was what was the biggest difficulty for you in doing that? I would say that the whole idea of pacing and uh, just page layout and how many how many word balloons do we need here and how is the story going to be told and are we spending too much time in one area? I mean, all these things that you don't think about, you just take for granted when you pick up a comic book or a graphic novel. And Jeff has a very keen, very acute idea as to how pacing needs to happen and how the characters should interact on the page. He has, a, he has an excellent eye for those things. So that was uh, an opportunity for me just to learn about, well, you don't want to expand more than maybe, maybe five or four, you know, six boxes. And when we do that, this is too wordy. That's a throwaway line. That was a classic thing that we, we developed. Those are throwaway lines. You don't need that. What's the essence of this character? Would they really say that? So for me, it was a very, I'm never, I'm not a writer, but it was very, it was fascinating to watch Jeff work and also get some interaction into, I, I think I learned a lot about uh, brevity 
And I think uh, that hopefully that comes in the book <laughs> as well. That we don't get what, too verbose and we're not going on and on. So, what was the coolest part of the process for you? I'd say the coolest part is that when you first see uh, your artist comes comes to you and he says, "This is what I'm thinking about doing for each of these principal characters." And I can remember taking all of the stuff. Uh, it was a uh, uh, Jeff showed me the initial designs, and I just I hung it up on my wall at home, and I just stared at it for probably a half hour, and then I I set it by my closet so I could look at them, because I was just so enamored with that, having just just to be part of the process to say, yeah, Jeff and I actually created sort of this little world, this interesting world, and we get to maybe even share it someday. When when it was an in, uh, in initial idea, we didn't know we'd ever find a publisher. We'd always hoped that this is that would be that would happen. So. I think we're both. I'm a I'm a huge comic fan. Jeff's a huge comic fan, and uh, we're we're fans number one, and I think creators number two. And so I think the opportunity to get to do stuff like this is a it's really a privilege that people would would take the time to to make your book and to put it out there and to see your to see your book in previews when you when you sat there and started the previews catalog all these years, and then there it is, you know, and and it's larger than life. That for me as a huge fanboy is probably the biggest sort of thrill just to be able to be a part of it jeff said that for him the kickstarter was uh one of the hardest things he's done he was probably the worst part of the whole process because right. of the 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 pressure how, how did you feel about that well uh i would i would agree to a to a degree i guess that the problem i would say this is that jeff did all the heavy lifting for the most part and so it was between jeff and david and uh, I was there to put stamps on envelopes and lick stuff uh, at the end. And I kind of, you know, here, here, Jeff, I brought a Sharpie. I'm going to write some stuff on this envelope. Oh, that was hard work. I'm, I'm exhausted, you know. But, but he kind of shepherded the whole process. So he and David really were the, were the masterminds behind that. So I have to say that uh, I didn't. I, I found it. I found it stressful in so much that it was. It seemed to. It always takes longer than you think it will, but I wouldn't say that I did. I did probably as much as Jeff did, so that's why Jeff has PTSD from our <laughs> Kickstarter. So. <laughs> I've heard a lot of horror stories about that's Kickstarters. Right. I got a few myself, but I've I've never heard it referred to as PTSD, uh, right. and and I kind of agree with that. <laughs> well, you, it's one of those things. Is, you just, you want people to like it and you're, and you're, it's, it's already kind of a little mini interview and you just think, uh, we need to get over the, we need to get over the hump. And so you, uh, I think that it's the opening up to public opinion and, and you just hope you just don't want people to, to get behind it. And, and when you, when we made our Kickstarter, it was phenomenal. It was like, Oh man, this is awesome. People like us. You, you feel like you know, people really like the book. People like the idea. They, they put, they plop down their hard earned money to get this, thing off the ground and it's i mean that's again that to me is another moment of euphoria before all the hard work started but that was all that was that's been another cool thing though is that people backed it that people liked your idea and said yeah we think you have a unique idea go for it so so my question to you is are you giving up medicine and becoming a comic uh, writer full-time now uh, yeah, right. <laughs> that's, I, I, I guess we'll see how the book does. I, Jeff and I have talked about, we really enjoy, I mean, I really enjoy the process and for me, it's not even work. And, and I find medicine, you know, some days medicine is a, is a long, hard slog. And then some days, you know, medicine is just awesome. And I, I mean, I guess I, I would say comic book writing is something, something like that. But to me, it's almost a, it's a relaxing thing. It's so it's, it's not stressful and, and you get to let that part of your brain that doesn't normally get to flex its muscle, you know, do its thing. And, and Jeff and I work very well together. I don't, I don't know what happened. We're kind of like kindred spirits in a lot of ways, but we seem to, uh, I wouldn't say we finish each other's sentences. We're, we're not quite that in sync, but we are pretty close. And so we think about things the same way and, and we really enjoy the creative process and, uh, um, I don't know for the next Palmiati gray or something like that. I mean, I, I, I just, it'd be awesome if we could continue medicine. I think we have more stories to tell. We've talked uh, in private about some things we'd like to do and direction we'd like to go, but uh, if there were opportunity to, to do some more writing or, you know, co-writing or work with Jeff, uh, work with uh, action lab, I, I certainly would be up for it. Um, this sounds like you guys are very comfortable with each other which is wonderful because you both bring your diverse backgrounds into this wonderful story. You've created a really, really cool universe. Uh, and 
I'm looking forward to seeing all six issues of it and seeing where it goes from here because what I've seen thus far is really, really freaking amazing. We've been talking back and forth with Jeff Dyer and uh, Mark McKeon, who doesn't like to be called Dr. Mark McKeon, but everybody wanted to. So I'm going to say, Dr. Mark, thank you for joining us on the show tonight. No, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us on, and thank you for reading the book and taking the time. Oh, it's wonderful, and I really enjoyed it. Brianna, who's on the show for the next week or so? I have no idea. You tell me. We're looking. Oh, I nope. I am maybe killing some char, though. Just saying. Oh, are you? Yes. Congratulations. And the pages are But next week, Curtis Lawson. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. After that, our friend Vivek Quarry comes back for his hat trick. And we're looking for you. Sci-Fi Saturday Night at the official podcast of Redcon, Scapagon, Sydney, and Comic Arthouse.com. Visit Comic Arthouse for the best deals and original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Be sure to say hello to our friends at Super Mega Fest. They have announced next week. You have a free moment. Take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, Julia Family, on Amazon and our intro music is provided by Rob Watts. Like more of his creations and books at Rob Watts Online. Our outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out their grooves on lawrencemademecry.com. We want to thank our guests, Jeff Dyer and Mark McKee, for joining us tonight to talk about the new comic book, Medicine. Many thanks to the uh, gang for joining us tonight. From the Peabody Time Cup, the sweetheart of the sound, Brianna, and one of the Thank you, ladies. Yep. Back to the Thunder Snow, and thanks for all the fish. Thank you, Java. This is Dome saying Terry and Jeannie. Shared pain is lessened and shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. I know.